0: From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Raj Nation and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast growing startups work with me because they wanna become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. This podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to startuphypeman.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Brookings, Oregon, and currently residing in Austin, Texas. He is the founder and chief prospecting officer at Blissful Prospecting. Please welcome Jason J. Bay Bay.
1: Awesome dude. I love it. I've been trying to bring the J Bay thing more into uh into the public realm. So uh this is good, man.
0: <laughs> I think in all your videos what you need to do is take that old Hurricane Chris song, A Bay Bay, and then just dub AJ Bay and have that be like the lead in and lead out to your videos you put online.
1: Dude, so many people growing up would do that in <laughs> college, I think AJ Bay. <laughs> And people call me Bay in high school or they call me Jay. My dad doesn't even call me Jason. I think my mom and Sarah, my wife, are the only people that call me Jason. Everyone else usually calls me Jay Bay. That's funny. I I
0: mean, I call you Jay Bay like colloquially, but I definitely feel like I talk about you as Jay. I think because I talk about you to people who don't know you. And so I kind of yeah. like have to say your name. Anyways, he is Jason Bay. He is the founder and chief prospecting officer at Blissful Prospecting. Blissful Prospecting helps sales teams by providing the systems, the coaching, and accountability to grow your outbound sales. When you work with Blissful Prospecting, you break through to decision makers, nail messaging through phone, email, and LinkedIn, build consistent scalable pipeline, break into larger accounts, and ultimately secure meetings and outbound sales. Now, Jason is kicking off our season premiere here, season 14. I'm so excited to have him on because we're in the midst of this blissful prospecting Think Outside the script summer virtual tour, which you'll hear a lot more about as the episode progresses. But specifically, this is Jason's fourth appearance on the show, if you can believe that. You are the first four-time guest. You Is are that on good your or way bad? To like Michael Jordan status, I think.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: That's good. <laughs> it's a, no. I, it's good because I tend to not want to repeat guests I'm, unless I'm like, no, but I know we have such a good conversation that it's worth having another, having them on again about a different topic.
1: So and the it's progression a of topics. Oh, thank you. The progression of topics has been crazy too. I mean, the first one we did was when I was living I in Oregon still. Yeah. You know, and I don't like remember 2000... what the
0: topic was. Uh, but I do remember I, we talked about Kendrick Lamar,
1: LeBron James in that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Kobe Bryant in there too. So yeah, the late Kobe Bryant. But uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting how things have progressed since then. Just for me personally, you know, that we might get into. And then also, you know, we didn't even have this business. Blissful Prospecting wasn't even a business yeah. at that time. And to have the conversations is is, is kind of cool. Every now and then I'll go back and listen to some old stuff. Yeah,
0: sometimes I cringe at the old stuff I used to say, but...
1: (laughs) Oh, it's cringy, dude. It's
0: cringy for me, too. (laughs) So this is fourth time on the show. Uh, First time, again, I can't remember what we talked about. Second time was about his run at stand-up comedy. Third time was about uh, almost two years ago, talking about uh, prospecting. And then today we're going to dive even deeper into prospecting. And specifically, our topic today is seven prospecting plays to land more meetings. Jason, why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you?
1: Prospecting plays, the idea came from this challenge that I think a lot of sales teams have, and especially on the individual rep level with, hey, someone comes in and they do a kick-ass training. Well, there's a lot that goes in one ear and out the other. How do you actually like, implement that? And then there's a lot of long form content out there too. There's tons of podcasts like this one, like ours. There's tons of webinars, especially going on right now. And it's all really good long form content. But the number one complaint I would always hear from reps is, well, how do I consume something quickly? Cause I don't have a couple hours to spare during the week to like, listen to a podcast, get 10 takeaways from that and then implement them over the next 10 weeks. (laughs) You know, it's just a lot to ask. So these prospecting plays, the idea came from that. Like how do we give something actionable to people that they can spend five or 10 minutes consuming, listen to and try right away in their next cold call, try right away in their next cold email. And that's where this concept came is taking that long form content and doing all the work for people and saying, Hey, here's the play that you can run. Here's strategically what's going on here. Maybe there's some psychology there. Here's what it is. And here's someone that's using it. And then here's how you can adapt it and make it your own. We're going to
0: dive into each of these and I hope we get through all seven in the time that we have. If we don't, then this episode title was just a lie and you'll have to follow up with Jason to get the rest (laughs) of them. Uh, so before we go into the seven plays, um, Jason, let's talk about, so again, you've been on the show. This is your fourth time on the show. I of course know you super well, having known you for about five years now, almost exactly five years, actually. Um, it would be five years in August. Um, and, over the years, we've learned a lot about you, and for people who are hearing you for the first time, you can go back to listen to some of his episodes to learn a lot about his personal background, but um, let's, let's talk about something a little bit different when we think about Jason Bay, the person, the man, the, the legend, and the God, if, if I may. Um, so uh, something that I think has been interesting is over the last year or so, you have been pretty open about going to therapy, um, which I think historically has had a negative public perception. It's getting better, but I still don't think therapy is the greatest, um, has the greatest um, impression around it. And I still think there's enough people who generally speaking, when you say, oh, so-and-so is going to therapy, they assume there must be something wrong in that person's life, what? Like, or, or they're just a wacko. So it's been cool that you've been really open about it. Uh, first, I'm just curious, what made you start going and what, why do you feel so comfortable sharing that part of you?
1: So the thing that got me going was uh, Sarah, my wife, she has gone through therapy before and she wanted to start seeing her therapist again. So we, she met with this uh, guy, Dr. Gregory, who's our, who's our therapist and in Portland. And just to kind of go through some personal stuff that I won't get in that she's dealing with because that's her, her business. Sure. But she really just connected with this guy and so much that when we moved to Austin, she still wanted to do meetings with him through Skype. And I was really curious. I've always wanted to try therapy because the people that I have heard talk about it were like, this is basically you're getting life coaching from an actual person that understands psychology, though. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're getting life coaching from a psychology, science based perspective from someone that's not saying, I've lived this awesome life. Here's how you can do it. It's no like, let's help understand like your brain and your emotions and your body and like how everything's connected in the least like woo-woo way (laughs) possible. Mm -hmm. So I'd always been curious. And then we weren't having problems in our marriage, but there were certain things that I, that we couldn't just get through. And and I'll just be candid with what some of those are. Uh, One of them was women's issues, right? And women's rights and all of that stuff. And And me coming from a town of Brookings that you mentioned earlier, 5,000 people, it was without getting political, I would say not a very open-minded place and Mm -hmm. I was not really raised in a place that didn't value non-traditional gender roles. And that was my perspective my entire life. That's what I grew up around all of my parents. uh, My parents were like that. Uh, And my dad's not sexist or anything like that, but it was very traditional and my friends, moms, and dads were like that too. So that was the first like topic that we were like, we just aren't seeing eye to eye on this and can't really get past this. And I started going to therapy and what I realized in that very first session was how my childhood and how I was raised, how all of that is like made me who I am today. And one of the big things that stuck out that's very related to prospecting, what we're going to be talking about today, which is why I'm so fascinated with it, is this concept of empathy, empathy and validation and not empathy like you're seeing a lot in sales like oh yeah i totally see where you're coming from it's it's not the surface level of what to say it's actually hey jason you don't understand your own emotions dude Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the way that i grew up was and you might relate actually because i think a lot of uh sort of asian families especially ones that are either first or second generation uh your parents are super strict dude Mm -hmm. and what happens with that is I was raised to be very humble, kind of like, and this is, I think a generational thing with our parents' generation too. It's like BC and not heard. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I didn't do well in sports and school and get recognition, but I saw what was rewarded in my family and it was really being humble and not drawing extra attention to yourself. And the way that I internalized that was it's not good if I do something bad and draw attention, but it's also not good if I overly celebrate something that went really well. Like I was valedictorian. I don't really talk about that a lot. I wasn't really like excited about that. Um, in sports, I was first team all league in uh, basketball. Didn't really talk about that or celebrate. It's about the team. You know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. And what that like trained me to do was like really mute my emotions. So whenever I felt something and it didn't feel good or it felt really, really, uh, uh, you know, it did feel good in the case of basketball or something going well, I didn't really think about like why I felt that way I didn't label those emotions. I didn't understand any of that stuff. And where this came to a head with blissful prospecting actually was like a year and a half ago. I was really trying to up my game in the messaging area and we worked with a consultant and he was like, Jason, there's like empathy missing from this messaging. And I didn't know what the hell that meant. I'm like empathy. How do you put that into a message? Like what does that actually look like, feel like, sound like in a sales context? And through my personal journey in therapy of realizing that, hey, Jason, when, when someone rejects you, when they offer something and reject you, that like physical discomfort you feel in your chest that you've also felt in other times in your life, like maybe when you got dumped by your girlfriend in high school or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's sadness. That's loneliness. That's what that is. Like those are the emotions that you were feeling and you get very light versions of that. Uh, getting rejected in sales, right? And it's understanding, oh, I feel this way. So that's the emotional validation part. I feel this way. It's totally normal that someone that gets rejected wouldn't feel good about that. So you're not crazy, Jason, for feeling that. Sit in that emotion and move on from there. And what that helped me be able to do was be like, hey, I'm experiencing this and now I can move on. And it doesn't turn into this thing where I end up blowing up on someone, which is usually my wife, Sarah, not like a yell out or anything like that, but I ended up like being really impatient and really, um, irritated, irritable. And Ooh, that was coming I'm, from I'm bottling. Irritable
0: when things are annoying me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, a, that was coming from me not being able to understand what I was feeling, to be able to express that, to express my needs, to set boundaries with people, that kind of stuff. And like I said, it's helped me like literally 10 X, how I prospect, but also how I teach and coach this stuff. Cause I'm finding that a lot of reps don't really have empathy either. They don't really understand what it means. And I'll give you a really practical example. You know, when you call someone and, and cold call someone, you could tell they've been having a rough day and they're like, dude, I'm super slammed right now. And then you just go straight into why you're calling versus like, Oh Raj, I mean, it sounds like you're super busy, dude. I bet you got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Like just like calling yeah, I, that I think, out I and think like talking like the natural... to them is,
0: I think the natural reaction is to be like, oh, no, this will only take a second.
1: Exactly. Think about what I want instead of, and this, this is the whole prospecting approach. It's this empathy-based approach that we teach where it's like, no, think about the other person first. So when someone says not interested and it sounds like they're being an asshole to you, like just think real quick, oh, man, I wonder where Raj is come from. He's probably having a crazy day right now. And talking mm-hmm. to that, hey, I, I totally hear you. And I, I, you know, I might feel the same way as, as you would if I was getting a call out of the blue from someone that I don't know. But hey, if it's cool with you, I did some research on you. I'd love to tell you why I'm calling and why I think it would be a good fit to chat. And, then, and maybe you tell me if you want to continue the conversation. You know, that style, and that's actually one of the plays is this permission-based opener. But everything is rooted foundationally in empathy and really thinking about how the other person's feeling and what state of mind they might be in, their situation. That's sort of a long-winded answer to your question. But this personal journey through therapy and like how that's connected to this is, I was just blown away when I saw that. I was like, oh, wow. Like these business problems that I have, and I think Zig Ziglar said this, are actually personal problems in disguise. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like what I wasn't breaking through (laughs) to prospects was because of my own inability to actually break through and be emotional with people and and be empathetic with them.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, we are all talking to people, regardless of where they work. They're still people. Um, yeah. I was going to actually ask you a couple more questions um, related yeah. to therapy and just lifestyle, but you know what? Let's actually table that because we we already like you already got into one of the plays. So let's just roll with that. So it sounds like one of the plays is permission based prospecting, which, as you said, is being able to like empathize with them if it's on the phone and they're like giving you that rejection right away. Not being like, no, 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 trust me, uh, I, I, this will only take, you know, 30 seconds of your time, which is still putting your interests first. It's actually relating to them being like, hey, you know, that totally makes sense that you wouldn't be interested uh, because if it were me, I probably wouldn't be interested either. Um, wh- is there anything more to say on that or should we go to the next play?
1: Yeah, with these permission-based openers, you might have seen like Sandler Training has like what they call the upfront contract. That's like a variation of this. But the main principle behind this that applies to almost everything you do in prospecting is ask for permission and do it often. You should actually ask for permission more in the process. And the psychology behind that, Chris Voss, everyone's talking about him. He's got some cool stuff on it. But the psychology essentially is that you're giving the person their autonomy. Like you're giving them a choice. And the thing that I like to think about and again, that'll kind of lay a good foundation for these plays is a few things. I like to think a lot about user experience. Mm. Uh, So you can use this concept called design thinking. So design thinking, any product that's built, whether it's digital like HBO, let's say, or physical products with Apple, the process they go through when they design products is called design thinking. And the very first step is empathy. So they study the people that are going to be using this, what they're using, how they feel about it, how they describe it, et cetera. So if you think about What is the user experience like on the receiving end of getting an email on the receiving end of getting a cold call or a LinkedIn message? And with cold calls, for example, what most people complain about when they get a cold call from someone is person doesn't introduce themselves. So I have no idea who this person is. They try to be deceptive. They don't tell me why they're calling. They talk the entire time. There's a huge sale. Like, so you basically just want to do the opposite. That's all a pattern interrupt is. You don't have to have this like, uh hey i was looking at rainbows and butterflies today and i found something really cool you want to know what it like you don't have to like say something completely off the wall for it to be a pattern interrupt just do so something different from the
0: normal the phrase pattern interrupt i don't know if a lot of our listeners are familiar with that it sounds pretty intuitive but can you just expand on that more
1: yeah pattern interrupt is and this is the concept behind think outside the script mm-hmm. right the script is essentially if you think about like as a salesperson, your script is not necessarily like your actual script, but the script that you go through in your head. Oh, I want to call someone, I need to say this, I need to do this because that's just what I was trained to do. So a pattern interrupt is just getting outside of what the normal experience is like. So what's the normal pattern for someone, again, rooted in empathy, that's on the receiving end of this, and what can you do that's just different? Because with a cold call or a cold email, all you're trying to do is get the person's attention. You're not gonna convince them to buy something from you in that call or that email. But doing something different is how you're gonna grab their attention and at least buy another five or 10 seconds for them to listen to you or to read the rest of your email. Would you say that my Fresh Prince video is a pattern interrupt in the cold emailing process? Oh, it's a huge pattern interrupt because again think about the lack of personalization in an email and think about the lack of just creativity at all in the entertainment factor and that's your that's your thing right it's the yeah. storytelling it's being more entertaining so you're also living and doing the thing that you are preaching too but yeah that's that's one hell of a pattern interrupt because <laughs> Uh, dude, I mean, what kind of responses do you get? Oh, I've never seen anything like this. This is the most creative email I've ever gotten, et cetera. People are saying that because they don't get stuff like that.
0: Mm. Okay, so, it, so it, you know, and, and and of course I love using that as one of my plays. Um, and actually I'm starting to get inquiry from companies on, on get, having their own rap videos made that they can start using, but not everyone's a rapper. Um, what would be a more like, Reachable pattern interrupt for your average
1: salesperson? Dude, do the permission based opener. That's a pattern interrupt right there.
0: Okay, so, so that itself is so, a pattern
1: interrupt? Exactly. So I'll give you a couple because I interview a lot of these people. And um, so Sarah Brazier from Gong, yeah. uh, one of their top SDRs, I think just got promoted to AE. She likes to say, you know, hey, it's so-and-so calling from gong on a recorded line. How have you been? Right? Classic gong line. Beck Holland sort of came up with that when she was working at gong. I know it's kind of weird to be making cold calls because there's a pandemic going on. Is it okay with you if I tell you the reason for my call? You can tell me if this is a conversation worth having. That's a pattern interrupt. You're acknowledging like the elephant. Hey, it might be kind of weird to be getting a cold call right now. Right? That obviously only works right now. We're in the pandemic, coronavirus kind of thing. But I think a lot of these pattern interrupts need to be Fluid based on the where conditions you're in. Exactly. One more I'll share with you. That's another good example of a permission-based opener. Is I interviewed Adam Beaton. So he is like I want to get his perspective because he's like four months, five months into his role as an SDR at Lead IQ. So Lead IQ, you got to check out all the reps at Lead IQ. What they really try to do is is like uh, comedy, right, and humor. Mm-hmm. They try to really put in the process. So the way he opens it is, uh, Hey Raj, it's Jason. Uh, from Blissful Prospecting. I know you weren't expecting me. I'm just hoping to try to make your day with an awesome cold call if you have 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> you know, it's just like kind of kind of
1: fun, kind of cheery. It's like no one's going to say, I was hoping to make your day with a cold call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that works really well for Adam, but that's, that's as simple as it can be. And that's the purpose of these prospecting plays is you don't got to record a rap video. Mm-hmm. You do that because that's your thing. Maybe someone else plays guitar. Maybe that could be their thing. Or yeah. maybe you don't do any of that shit at all, <laughs> right? Yeah. And maybe you just tweak your opener in a cold call. This is literally something you could just go out and try on the next yeah. next time you go out and make a call. I'm curious with the idea of the pattern
0: interrupt. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's think about a pattern interrupt in, in email, if, if it's a thing, unless you're saying it's only a thing in calls. Um, no, it's a pattern interrupt every piece of communication right, okay, yeah, that right, you right. have with my prospect totally. yeah so okay yep. so what's the line between like like I, I love the pattern interrupt concept but then i also don't like when teams get to the point of just being like gif happy or gif happy however you however it's said and it's like there's not actually like value delivered like, like basically the reason they got a response was cause it's like because you use like a spongebob meme and it doesn't necessarily mean that you actually delivered value. The person was just kind of like, huh, fine, I'll take a meeting. You know, is that okay? Because my, my stance has always been like, I don't want a meeting just because like I threw a meme out there,
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I, I think we have to d- define what value is. Hmm. So value is really just I, I get something from you and I get some, a tiny amount more than what I had before. And that could be like really tiny, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So it's something useful, preferably it's something actionable. So the best type of value is something that a prospect can look at and within a minute or two look and say, hey, I got something from this that I can actually use to like improve in my job or improve my company or whatever, right? So that type of value this like YouTube, like bite-sized content kind of uh, idea is really what you're going for. So, and then you look at the purpose of prospecting is really to get a meeting with a qualified prospect, right? So if honestly, if, if all I had to do was put a meme in an email and set meetings, I would do that, <laughs> you know? So I think you got to play off like what works, mm-hmm. but to your point, you really want to think about I think about more connecting than I do value. How, how am I connecting what this person cares about from what I can see about them to like what I care about? I like look for alignment. So yeah. a good example of this in application is like, dude, you're into professional wrestling. So think about how cool it is when you meet someone like maybe Morgan Ingram, for example, that's into professional yeah. wrestling. You're like, that's my dude right there. You guys are like, boom. With me, it's someone that's into Van Halen or Nickelback.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which which by the way this is part of why anyone listening to this has to go back and listen to past JBay episodes on this show because yeah. we talk
1: about his fanfare for nickelback yeah <laughs> so you want to find those things that your prospect like that's really the the connection part of it the relevant part of it that people keep talking about is how can i on their linkedin profile or whatever determine what this person finds really important and what they value and then connect that back to to what I'm saying. And for you, it's, it's storytelling, right? So if you tell a good story, or if you can identify things that indicate that storytelling is important to them or the things that they get from storytelling, Mm -hmm. and then you share a cool story, like an example of what that looks like, people are like, oh yeah, this guy gets it, right? He's one of us. That's Mm -hmm. the exact thing that you're going for. Memes and gifts, like I try to stay away from, because if you're not funny and you try to be funny, it's just like, it's like doing a stand-up comedy set and not getting any laughs. It's like yeah. it's cringe. It's cringy.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess really my my issue with it is like you don't want to be overly gimmicky. And I think you're overly gimmicky when your best move is just putting like a meme or a gif without anything that actually like really connects with them. Cause then I think yep. you're just kind of like that person on the side of the road waving like the, you know, car wash sign. Where it's like maybe maybe someone maybe maybe people will respond maybe people will go into that car wash, but you know well, <laughs> what, like what do you actually like what do you actually know about that person what are you actually doing that makes them care um, exactly okay so prospecting play number one was permission based openers that took a hell of a long time for us to get through so we're gonna have to bang through a couple more of these uh, sure. re- relatively quicker but let's let's go into what what would be our
1: second play uh, so play number two is soft versus hard call to actions this is a cold email tip so one of the things with prospects that they really get hammered with is meeting requests mm-hmm. and it's not about using a soft or a hard one it's about using both you know the data will show that more open-ended call to actions perform better right now from gong but that just remember that's specific to like SaaS and things like that so mm-hmm. it depends on the industries that you're targeting to but an example of a soft call to action at the end of an email is hey open to learning more does that make sense uh, or does it make sense to connect? Excuse me. Um, a hard call to action is, can I get 15 minutes of your time? Are you free to meet tomorrow at this time? Mm-hmm. So with your emails, if you try to use more of those soft call to actions and Chris von Hewn, who's a, an AE at Xerox shared this on the podcast. If you can use more of those softer call to actions in the beginning and then get a little harder with the call to actions towards the end, you're not going to burn the prospect out where you're like always asking them for something. Is that to to say that in the beginning
0: of an email, you would actually have an ask and then you'd also close with an ask? Or are you saying Uh, in the beginning of a sales sequence, like your email is a soft ask and then as you move down the sales funnel because they've taken a meeting with you, then you get into hard asks?
1: Yeah, so the sequence. So the sequence of emails. So like that first email, you might just be sharing. uh, You might say, hey, I, I... I have this really cool storytelling framework that I want to share that these companies are using to do this and the call to action could be cool if I send it over to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like a really soft call to action to send them something valuable. It's not like mm-hmm. an ask for their time. So just vary up your call to actions and what most people I see doing is they put a meeting link in there, which I know is a pet peeve uh, of yours. Yeah. And then they also <laughs> use a very hard call to action. So take out half of those. From your emails and just put in like software call to action that 's a really, really easy thing that you can do right away
0: yeah, so i 've been a big fan for the last probably a year now uh, of in, in an email asking the, the call to action is "Are you interested?" question um, yep. mark or does this sound interesting?" but more often than not, I use are you interested?" and my reason and i 'll say and before I was doing that, my ask was. Um, does this make sense for insert Does this make sense for blissful prospecting? If so, you know, do you have time next week? Um, and then I switch to, are you interested? And I, uh, the reason I, I've been such like a practitioner and advocate of this or the previous method is um, I think a lot of people in sales and a lot of entrepreneurs have learned that um, sort of like psychological trick of um, like decision fatigue Um, where they say, you know, where the kind of like the the knowledge that's espoused is you want to lessen the number of decisions they have to make. Therefore, if you just directly close an email by saying, uh, do you have 15 minutes on Thursday or when are you free? You have now reduced the amount of decisions because you're not asking if they're free. You're just asking them to pick a specific time that they're free, um, which is theoretically less taxing on the brain. But what I've never agreed with in that approach is that it, it, it's that psychology is taken totally out of context because it's not taking into account this person doesn't know you yet. And you yep. just emailed them from out of the blue and to just assume that they do want to meet with you is a big leap, right? Whereas if you just ask, Hey, are you interested? And, and I think the other thing too, if you ask just for interest is, it empowers them to tell you what they want to do. Most people have the wherewithal to tell you, yeah, this looks cool. Why don't we have it? Why don't we meet? <laughs> right? Like, it's not like if you didn't say meeting, they don't know that a meeting would be a logical next step, but it empowers them to tell you they want to meet. Or there are going to be cases where they're like, I'm interested, send me some more information. And they're telling you they want to see a little bit more before they even agree to a meeting. And so I think that whole notion of just going straight to being like, Hey, reduce the number of steps they have to take and just say either here's my calendar link or when are you free this Wednesday? I think it totally takes that decision
1: fatigue thing out of context and bastardizes it. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent dude. the psychology around this. You got to be careful because the person didn't ask for you to reach out to them. They did not opt into this. And another analogy I would use, I was talking to Sarah about this yesterday actually, is for some reason people think when they prospect or send an email or make a call, that's like that's the only opportunity that they're gonna get. Mm -hmm. And in reality, really it's more of like uh, playing tennis. It's more of a volley. I'm gonna hit over to their side of the court. I'm just trying to get them to hit it back. I don't even need to set a meeting off of that email. I just want them to respond. Once someone responds, it's way easier to get a yeah. conversation going. Cause then you could call them too, yeah. right? Cause so, a lot of times their number is yeah. going
0: to be in their signature. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, just get, just get a response. That's, that's all you're trying to do. Start a conversation.
0: So prospecting play two, soft versus hard CTAs. What's our third
1: play? Uh, so here's another cold email one. This is a really super simple one. So play number three is short, punchy follow-ups. So when you send that first email with your video, the second email, all it's got to be is any thoughts, question mark. Mm -hmm. Raj, that gets a really high response because think about, again, user experience. If I open up an email chain and I see five emails from you and they're all really long-winded emails, I'm like, dude, (laughs) I don't even want to look at this, right? Mm -hmm. Versus I get a couple short choppy follow-ups. It's like, hey, any thoughts? Any thoughts on this? What did you think? You know, variations of those kind of things where it's like prompting them to look at the previous email without saying, did you get my email? It's like, yeah, they got your email. Yeah. (laughs) Just short, (laughs) choppy, any thoughts.
0: Let's talk about that part for a second. The number of follow-ups that start with just checking in to see if you've received my previous email. I'm always like, in what world did technology just combust for that day that you sent the email and they didn't receive it? And you know what, the only case where it would is like it went to spam, but if it went to spam, your follow-up is also going to spam.
1: Yeah. And again, it's very self-serving. So you're not exercising any empathy at all of what it might be like for someone to receive that email and how it would make them feel. The emotions that you're not going for are anger, which like is a primary uh, emotion of like being annoyed, which is the secondary emotion, right? You don't want to annoy people, which is what we end up doing most of the time when we're prospecting. So just think about how you want the person to feel and how you don't want them to feel and how you would feel if you got something like that it, it would probably freaking annoy you dude if you got a bunch of emails like that
0: well and i think too a lot of times when people if someone is doing the just checking in to see if you got my last email i can i can tell based on if someone's doing that chances are the first email they sent was not actually was not even worth responding to which honestly most times when i get that follow up the the reason i didn't reply is like yeah i got your email but there was nothing val there was nothing that made me compelled to re, that compelled me to reply which is why you haven't gotten a response from me so i think it ties exactly. back to like i think the any thoughts is like it's got to come after an initial email that coming back to kind of one of our first points that actually made a connection with the person but just perhaps they were too busy in the moment to
1: to whip up a reply exactly so Play number four is something very close along these lines. But one thing that I notice in the companies that we work with and the reps that we coach and the people we interview, there's something that like three quarters of them have in common. And they run this play that originally started in combo prospecting, that book with Tony Hughes. But uh, Alexine Moudoir, who you know and introduced me to, she came on the podcast. She calls it triple threat. So uh, what I really like about this yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So again, think about on the, on the user experience side of the, of the prospect. Most of the time when we're prospecting, we send an email and they may or may not get it right. And then we'll send a LinkedIn connection request a couple days later and they may or may not get it. And then maybe we leave them a voicemail. They get that. and They're like, okay, whatever. They don't realize that you emailed them before and that you tried connecting on LinkedIn. So this concept is, well, what if I did every time I reach out to someone, what if I did three activities every time? So she, what she does, she'll open up the person's LinkedIn profile. So that's a notification right there that the person viewed your profile. She'll call the person. So she's looking at the profile, doing the research. So she calls the person. Most of the time we'll get a voicemail and she says, yo, Hey, so-and-so with so-and-so company, uh, reaching out for this reason, look for an email with this subject line. Right? So the goal is not to get a response back from the voicemail. It's I'm going to send you an email. So then she sends an email. So now the person has heard her voice in voicemail, and people may not respond to voicemails, but remember voicemails, I don't even know what it is exactly, but I bet you they have a lot higher listen rate or a C rate, because people get the trans- transcriptions sent to them uh, than your emails, right? So leave a voicemail, just because they don't respond to it doesn't mean that it's not working. So you're directing them to the email, they get to see uh, her written uh, a voice, right? And then she sends a connection request on LinkedIn, they get to actually see her. And that's like three, four, five notifications, depending on how people have stuff set up on their LinkedIn with email notifications. But LinkedIn, again, they're going to get notified that you viewed the profile. They're going to get notified about a connection request on LinkedIn. And that usually sends an email to them too. So that's like three notifications just right there, plus the voicemail, plus the missed call, plus the email. That's like six hits actually Mm -hmm. from a notification standpoint. And it's really going to stick out. Because what happens, again, is that we send these one-off touches, and if it's a really busy person, they're not going to remember that you emailed them last week and that they didn't look at it. But now you're getting it all at once, and everything is talking to each other and communicating and working together. And again, I see three quarters of reps that really crush it with response rates use this triple threat approach. The really cool
0: part of it, and that's why it's triple threat, is, as you said, every, every like, round of outreach is 3X'd. So instead of five outreaches, you've done fifteen out- excuse me fifteen outreaches because you've done the email call or the call email uh linkedin and and obviously you can't keep requesting them on LinkedIn, but you can start liking their posts or you can comment on their posts right um, yep. I also really like in the triple threat method um, that you are playing to So, so one thing is you're you're just, you're humanizing yourself, right? So instead of being this faceless person, you're, 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 you're getting your voice and your face seen in the process. On top of that, um, it really plays to channel preference. Like some people are hyper active on LinkedIn and love getting into like DM conversations on LinkedIn. Others don't really touch LinkedIn and prefer a call or prefer to communicate through email. And instead of assuming that everyone has the same usage of the same channel or
1: channels, you're just you're just playing to their channel preference. Yep, and it's not just a generational thing. I, people keep saying that, dude. I am very active on LinkedIn. I don't like to engage with people in sales conversations on LinkedIn, though, and
0: mm-hmm. I don't
1: like to actually pick up the phone either. For me, it's email.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And most people would say, well, that's what you know, boomers. What a boomer thing, you know, kind of thing. It's like, well, no, it's everyone has different communication preferences, and you're totally right with that. So again, it's empathy, right? Thinking about the other person.
0: I want to get into the fifth play, but before we do that, let's pause and let our listeners know about our show's partner in sales hacker. So if you've been a longtime listener here, then You know, we have pretty interesting conversations on this show. A lot of times they have to do with sales, like what I'm talking with Jason with right now. And if you were not aware, Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It's 135,000 members deep, which means whether you're the CEO or the CPO, like Jason, Chief Prospecting Officer, uh, the head of sales or the sales rep or the AE, Sales Hacker is going to help you get better at your job, period, with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from the actual experts and practitioners, including features like me. Uh, Jason has been featured on Sales Hacker before through webinars and content. So really, it's just like the straight dope to grow your sales acumen. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Sales Hacker team. They've even launched a really cool new community feature. So now instead of passive website content consumption, you can actually engage in discussion just like a Reddit thread. Uh, including they're even doing like AMAs every week now too, Ask Me Anything, where you can talk to an expert uh, live in a very similar to a Reddit thread, but through the Sales Hacker website. So I love having Sales Hacker as a partner of the show. To get involved, all you have to do is go to saleshacker.com and get free access. So that's the articles, the, website, the webinars, the research, et cetera, the podcasts, um, all that stuff, the discussions, the AMAs. Saleshacker.com is your website to access it all. And our show is also presented by the Blissful Prospecting Think Outside the Script virtual tour, which Jason, who's my guest today, is hosting. If you're not aware, Jason and Blissful Prospecting have basically figured out what would the sales version be of like Lollapalooza. And given that we have a pandemic, what if Lollapalooza for sales had to be online? And that's what the Think Outside the Script Blissful Prospecting summer virtual tour is all about. Over the course of 105, or maybe now it's 108 days, you're going to hear from over 40 different sales practitioners, sales thought leaders, and sales experts who are sharing the ins and outs of helping you get, basically get more meetings at the end of the day, which is really what today's podcast is about as well. But if you want to learn things that have to do with productivity, mindset, uh, cold calling, cold emailing, LinkedIn strategies, personal branding, et cetera, You're going to get to hear from experts like Todd Capone, uh, Scott Ingram, Beck Holland, Leah Niederthal, myself. I'm going to be part of this as well. You're going to hear from Jason throughout. Every week, Jason is interviewing different sales experts, practitioners, or thought leaders, two to three a week, and it's all live and it's all virtual. So you get to actually, as the viewing audience, participate in the discussion as well. Live, virtual, and best part, 100% free. So if you want access to any of the talks or all of the talks, and I'll just throw a nod if you're going to sign up for any of them, add mine to the list (laughs) where I'll be on August 20th uh, sitting down with Jason to talk about how to storytell in your prospecting and essentially not suck at it and think like an entertainer. Uh, You just got to go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com and you can sign up again for any or all of the talks it runs through early October and we're in full swing right now with the tour. Some great content has already been posted and you can interact with, and you'll get recordings to everything as well if you can't make it live. Tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Let's get back to the man behind that tour, actually. who's was my guest today, Jason Bay, Chief Prospecting Officer and Co-Founder of Blissful Prospecting. We're talking seven prospecting plays to lead to more meetings. We've gotten through four. Jason, hit us with number five.
1: So number five, so I interviewed a guy, Sam Crew, who is a sales, I think he might be a senior SDR uh, at ExtraHop. But one of the things he talked about, I thought was really interesting because we really focused on this challenge of where do I spend my time when I'm prospecting, especially I have, if I have like thousands of companies to reach out to. And he has a system where he separates his time into three buckets he calls in. So one is low-hanging fruit where he might spend 10% of his time 80% of his time is spent on bread and butter, he calls it, which is your primary account-based approach, breaking into new accounts, that sort of thing. And then he runs what he calls an air coverage campaign. So it's an email-only approach to like tier three, maybe it's personas at your tier one accounts that are not really like your ideal personas. The play that you can run here in Low Hanging Fruit that I think people, a lot of people forget about is there's two things you can do that Sam talked about I thought were really cool. So one, in Sales Navigator, you can look for first and second degree connections of yours that follow your company on LinkedIn.
0: Hmm.
1: So especially if you're at, working at a big SaaS company that's been around for a while, you'll have thousands of followers on the company page. And all you got to do is reach out to these people. Uh, hey, I see that you follow our company page. That's like your personalization snippet right there in LinkedIn. And then you go into your value prop or the challenge or whatever it is that you want to talk about but that's like hyper relevant because they follow the company page. It's a really, really easy way to uh, to open the door. The second thing that you can do that's pretty cool is you can prospect to people that are in your current accounts that you're going after that used to work at one of your uh, current clients. So you could take a look at all of your companies right now that you work with and put those into Sales Navigator and then you could put those into the past company filter And then all of a sudden what you'll see when you start looking for the job titles that you're going after, you can see people that used to work at the companies that are current clients. And that's another easy way to get the door open. Hey, saw that you used to work at blank, which is a, you know, obviously it uses our product or Hey, wanted, wanted to know what you thought of our product from working there, there's, it's like a really, really easy way to personalize and add context without having to do all this research. So, break your time up into buckets and making sure that you're going after those low-hanging fruit opportunities.
0: What I don't want people to miss or gloss over as we have this conversation is if you haven't seen the recurring theme yet through those first five plays, and I'm we will carry into plays six and seven, is this is all I mean you could do one or you could do all of these, but the the overarching theme here is that this is all an effort to make these not cold outreaches and make them as warm as possible, even if you've never met
1: the person before. Absolutely. It is with
0: number six, Jason.
1: I, yeah, I think just quick comment on that. Like people really think that, oh, I have to engage people cold all the time. Well yeah, I mean you could do that, but there's ways that you can Use some information that's at your fingertips, like to your advantage, to make the conversation easier to start. You know, mm-hmm. um, so number six, uh, this one's from Bilal Batrawi. who I interviewed on the show. Big fan of his. You got to follow him on LinkedIn. He's got some great content. But he's been, I think it was six times, he's been on the founding uh, team at a startup. So he's got a lot of experience, kind of going through that process of having to build the process, <laughs> you know, uh, coming in where a process wasn't uh, existing. So he's always sold technology. And I think this is really relevant for the people that listen to this that are selling SaaS. And there's this change that he talks about in this learning curve that people have with adopting new technology. So when you're selling a product, maybe that's kind of a game changer type of product that there isn't really something like it in their space. What you have to do is like really educate audience. But there's a couple quick qualifying questions that you could ask in a cold email or in a cold call that would let you know, is this the type of company that's going to adopt new technology and try stuff or are they not? And two questions that he likes to ask. So this would be like, uh, hey, Raj, I do the intro and you're like, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me why you're calling. So I might be like, hey, we have this uh, challenge that a lot of people like you're experiencing. Here's something that we're seeing works well. By the way, uh, what was the last product that you guys purchased, if you don't mind me asking? Or hey, when, when was the last time you guys tried a, a new piece of software? What are you guys using these days? And if they're like, "Oh no, you know, we haven't, we use the same stuff we've been using all, all along," it's like, well, that might not be a good fit for you. But if they're like, "Oh yeah, we're trying this thing right now with our sales engagement, or we're trying this marketing tool," you can get a better idea of like how resistant to change that this prospect might be, so that you don't have to mm-hmm. waste your time going down this road with someone that's. Like on the technology adoption curve, like late stage at the very end where they're going to be so resistant to adopting LinkedIn, let's say, for example, because they've always relied on phone and email, or they don't use Zoom because they've always relied on in-person meetings. You're going to run across those companies, you know, when you're selling technology. And unfortunately, a lot of them are probably going out of business right now if they're not adopting those types of technologies. But that's a, that's a good play that you can run too.
0: What would you title that one?
1: Resistance to change. Resistance to change.
0: Okay, think we can squeeze in the seventh one. We're running low on time. Anybody All right, to get through it quick.
1: Yeah. Lastly, so Kayla Citron Thaler is how you pronounce her name. She's a BDR mm-hmm. Domino Data Lab. I call her Kila. Kila Kayla is the nickname I have uh, <laughs> given her. But hers is really simple. She has thirty-five percent plus response rates, just because she uses a, like a ton of videos. So when you send a connection request to someone, don't pitch in the connection request, but when they actually accept the connection request, instead of responding through text, send them a video. So the same thing that you might normally send, actually look at their profiles to, hey Raj, I saw that this, this, and this is important to you. Um, We're helping companies with this or that have this type of challenge. Is this something you're running across right now? Video, 30 to 60 seconds. And she gets an incredibly high response rate by making it a video. And like really leaving a really good first impression with the person versus just sending a generic text-based
0: message. Another one, another variation of that that I've seen work really well and it's worked well on me is someone will send like a Loom video or a Vidyard where they are, their screen share looking at my profile and they're like, hey, this yep. is really impressive. Uh, you know, I noticed you said this. I think there might be an opportunity because you said this thing in your profile. And I mean, I just I respect the hustle so much in that case that I'm like yeah like let's talk like this is you know you're you're taking time to think about me
1: yeah and that's actually the technique that she uses there where she's screen sharing through Drift I think she uses on the person's profile so they're definitely going to see that oh this is personalized so you're accomplishing the same thing that you would as if you were holding up a sign or a piece of paper or whatever with her name on it I think and I think part of that too if you come back to like your first point about like the UX behind this is what
0: well, you have to realize when you, when you go to that level to just try to get a meeting with them, um, the person on the receiving end of that is, in a way, a lot of them, and I know I think like this, I'm like, man, if this is the level of care they take in just reaching out to me, imagine what their product or their service might actually be like when I'm paying them money.
1: Yep. No, absolutely. And it's this pattern interruption who is sending personalized videos to people after they connect with them very very few people are doing that it's a really great way to stand out they've already taken the time to accept your connection request which usually only a third of people actually do that and that's like good that's like batting 300 in, you know in the in the majors yeah. so they've already taken the time to do that why not take 30 60 seconds to just add some context real quick record a video and just blow them away and like I said, she's getting 35% response rate. So this is like a more quality-based approach uh, to prospecting versus playing this numbers game of how many people can I connect with?
0: Oh, let I me mean, just ask you one quick rebuttal. I want a quick answer from you on this. Um, what's your response to the person who says, yeah, I, like, that makes sense, but I have a quota to hit of number of people to reach out to. I can't do that. Like, that's going to take forever to do that.
1: We'll figure out how to do it faster. You know, A/B <laughs> test it. I don't know, practice it. You know, it's like the first time you played basketball or any other sport, it probably took you a long time just to figure out how to practice properly. Spend 30 minutes outside of your shift, practicing, sending Vidyard videos and get better at it. I have no, like no patience for excuses like that. It's like, dude, just try it. And if it works for you, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but there's no excuse for not trying. And don't be this person that only works like your eight, eight to five or your nine to five or whatever. Spent 30 minutes outside A-B testing this alongside of what you're doing and build like a little mini case study out of it for your company and say, hey, when I do this approach, I get a 1% response rate and I have to reach out to 10 times more people versus getting a 10%, 20%, 30% response rate doing this. They're much higher quality. The AE loves the meetings more, et cetera. Like you need to take it upon yourself to do that. And if you're too lazy to do that, I have no sympathy for you, dude. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's like, okay, fine, but would you rather – reach out to 100 people and get a couple responses, reach out to 30 and get 10 responses and like your day is done, quote unquote, you know, and maybe it's it's a larger conversation around what are you actually being like comped on? Is it number of outreaches or is it number of
1: quality leads that are generated? Yeah, most people are compensated based on meetings, right? So that quality based approach, there's somewhere in the middle between 100% quantity approach and then 100% quality approach, right? There's somewhere a sweet spot there for you in the middle and you got to play around and find it. But just think about those hundred people you reached out to and only got one response. What did the other 99 people think of you in your company? Mm -hmm. So when you don't take this time to personalize, you're really like, especially a VP or a C level person at a company, you're just like not impressing them at all. They'll never take a conversation with you if you do this incorrectly. Yep. Yep.
0: All right, let's do a quick wrap-up here. Where can our listeners uh, find you, learn more uh, about Blissful Prospecting? What do you guys offer and tell us? Uh, I, I talked about the tour before, but, but give a nod to the tour as well.
1: Yeah, I'd say the best place right now is tour.blissfulprospecting.com. That'll get you kind of like into the ecosystem of all the free content that we put out. And besides that, I would i would go to LinkedIn. Uh, we post content every single day on LinkedIn. It's very actionable prospecting content. And uh, you could just find me at Jason you know, Jason Bay, you know, search for blissful prospecting on LinkedIn. And in terms of unique URL is slash Jason D Bay, just so everyone's aware. Slash Jason D Bay. So that's where you'll find like tons of free content and links to our podcast. Um, We do coaching and training for companies too. Uh, We also have a membership. So if you want more of those prospecting plays that I shared today, we got dozens of those inside our membership group which you can find from our website blissfulprospecting.com so it kind of depends on where you're at if you want some free stuff check out the tour check out linkedin check out our podcast there's just tons of stuff there if you're looking for a little bit more in your rep i check out the membership which you can get on our website for prospecting plays and courses and stuff and if you're a company you know we also do training and coaching for companies around these prospecting plays as well so those are the kind of the different ways that we help people depending on what you're looking for
0: to wrap up, we will each give our top one or two takeaways for the audience based on today's discussion. Uh, let's not just recap, you know, let's just not say, well, my takeaway is all the seven plays. Let's find it, kind of maybe find a nugget within that. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. First off, I will just say here were the seven plays for everyone. Uh, number one, permission-based openers. Number two, soft versus hard call to action. Number three is short, punchy follow-ups. Number four is the triple threat method. Number five was... Um, uh, low hanging, going after the low hanging fruit. Number six was uh, playing to resistance to change and number seven was the video opener. So amidst all of that, uh, my biggest takeaway is um, if your job, whether you are the head of sales, the founder or a rep, when, when it is on you to generate business for the company, obviously it starts with that top funnel outreach, and when you take the extra time and care to do some of these methods, like I have implemented before, um, it is not just that you get the meeting, it is that you have a much more prepared and high, more highly qualified buyer who's taking that meeting, as opposed to just anyone and anyone being like, yeah, whatever, I'll check this thing out. You're actually like preparing that person for the buying experience slash sales process. And they're, at a, they're, at a, they're typically at a better stage to, to talk to you then.
1: Jason, top one or two takeaways for the audience. Ooh, that was a good one, dude. So my big thing is you have to meet the prospect where they're at when you're doing prospecting. They didn't opt in to receive a message for you. So the mistake that a lot of sales teams make when they're prospecting, especially reps, is they essentially go to the prospect and say, Raj, join this conversation I'm having in my head right now. Mm -hmm. And that's just the exact opposite way to do it. You want to join the conversation that's happening in the prospect's head that Mm -hmm. demonstrates empathy that demonstrates some social proof that you know what you're talking about and people want to start conversations about things that are important to them, not things that are important to you. My final question to
0: close out, which is how we close out every episode fill in the blank, Jason. Entrepreneurship is
1: blank. Entrepreneurship to me is just the biggest exercise in being able to like be multifaceted and multi-skilled. And I always go back and forth. Hey, am I a salesperson or am I an entrepreneur? And what I finally settled on is I'm an entrepreneur. Sales is one part of that. That's one skill that is essential, but so is marketing, right? Doing this tour. So is operations and delivering a good product or service, you know? So to me, it's this being multifaceted, being multidimensional, you know, not specializing too much in one thing is what it, for me, it means to be an entrepreneur.
0: He is Jason Bay. He is the co-founder and chief prospecting officer at Blissful Prospecting. Again, check out the Think Outside the Script summer virtual tour at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Jason, thank you for kicking off season 14 of Startup Hype Man, the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on, dude. This is fun. And I look forward to your
0: fifth appearance on the show, which I'm, I'm positive will happen at some point in the future. Take care. Yeah, you too. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast, is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.